people experience trauma in different ways. No two traumas are the same. So for one person, it may be traumatic. Another person, it may be therapeutic. And I really think it depends on severity of the uh, of the topic. I'm Leon Guidry, and this is the Brother Be Well podcast, sponsored by Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. Today, we're addressing trauma and healing with an emphasis on boys and men of color. It's about to get real with our hosts, experts, and guests. Gather around, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. Today, in one of a series of Brother Be Well conversations on trauma and healing, made possible by the support of Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative, we're talking about trauma triggers. If you don't know what they are, hold on tight. You're in for a great conversation. For me, learning about trauma triggers was transformative during my journey to mental health. And I'm going to share some of that journey with you as we unpack trauma triggers with marriage and family therapist and Brother Be Well clinical advisor, Christian Jacobs. Christian, what's up? Welcome back to Brother Be Well. Hey, how's it going, Michael? Hey, man, you can come back as often as you like. Really enjoy these conversations, Christian. So thanks a lot. Let's get right at it, Christian. Let's briefly define trauma for someone. You and I have been together for a while, but let's define trauma for someone who hasn't caught one of our earlier conversations during this series. What exactly is trauma? Sure. You know, trauma is, is an emotional response, you know, um, mentally and psychologically. So it's really a, really a psychological response to a traumatic event, you know, such as, you know, violence or racism or uh, school shootings. Um, and this is also either being a witness to it or actually being um, the, f- the first victim in that, in that situation. Um, it could be a sexual abuse, um, verbal abuse, things of that sort. And also a person you know, who experiences that uh, shock uh, value, that, that shock and denial phase is also a form of trauma. Uh, trauma can also you know, occur from direct exposure or as I was saying, you know, either learning it or hearing it, you know, third party or seeing it on the news. So it can happen in, in a, a, a myriad of ways you know, when you talk about uh, the experience with trauma. Let's talk about, as we talk about triggers, there's a difference between a term, I'm being triggered, and that triggered me. We use those terms a lot, rather, but there's a difference between being triggered and being uncomfortable. Um, Often we conflate those two. So can you describe a trauma trigger? What exactly is that? (laughs) Yes, I know people sometimes say something is a trigger when in reality they mean something and they got... Uh, they maybe got them upset or something they're bothered, but it's almost sometimes it could be like a form of slang, right? Um, right? But I think it would be helpful, you know, if I provide more definition and context uh, to that term trigger. You know, a trigger really is, um, if you can visualize it, it's a uh, it could be a person, a place, a feeling, or a thing that immediately induces a stress-based physical or emotional response based on past traumatic experiences. And when that when that um, stress-based physical response occurs, of course, we, as we talked about um, in our other podcasts and other recordings, is that you know certain uh, chemicals are released to help ease the the body, such as cortisol and you know these other um, oxytoxins that that occur in the body that's trying to you know uh, appease the body to, to, that's going through that painful experience. So triggers can really be internally generated by feelings or stress. So you're looking at anger. Uh, sadness or causes uh, do uh, that are really rooted in an, an external environment. So you have those external uh, uh, um, I, um, ideas as well. And really being uncomfortable is maybe something you experienced uh, wasn't was really you know undesirable, like having a door slamming your face, you know, but it, uh, it wasn't traumatic and doesn't really induce those physical and emotional stress 
um, indicators we talked about, right? So every time you walk by a door, you're not triggered. It may have been uncomfortable someone slamming the door in your face, but it wasn't traumatic for you. So if a person, place, or feeling, or thing gets like a, a rise out of you to the point physically, you may want to, uh, you may start getting hot or hands getting sweaty or you start to tear up. You may have been triggered. So that's something you may want to look into. So to, to make sure I understand before we move on, the, the door slammed in your face example, if, a, if, a, if you walk by a door later and you're reminded of the door having been slammed, but you don't have a physiological reaction to that, you're probably not triggered. But if, exactly. if something happens and it kind of causes a change in your body, you, you might want to be, you might want to think about whether or not that's, that's triggering to you. Is that accurate? Exactly. Exactly. Because everyone, everyone responds to uh, a trauma differently. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Thank you, sir. Let's I've, I've learned as I got ready to talk to you, sir, that we need to be aware of internal and external triggers. So can you talk about and differentiate between the two of those? Yeah. So many times if we pay attention to our bodies, you know, you'll feel the emotion physically if you really pay attention. And um, you ever be, became so angry that you, you know, maybe you um, subconsciously your fists were balled up as you're talking or like so nervous that you've subconsciously torn up 10 napkins under the table or scratched a hole through your jeans? Well, hopefully not uh, scratching a hole through your jeans. Uh, but seriously, like, you know, the, the trigger that caused all this may be internally generated, you know, which we, you know, which could be an emotion, memory, pain as another good example, uh, frustration, loneliness. So these are some of the internal indicators that could happen. So um, I just want to actually tell you a story. Um, Years ago, I was in a long-term relationship, right? And it ended, you know, rather abruptly. And around the winter times, around October, November, December, I believe um, Thanksgiving and Christmas was coming up. Um, actually, those those um, those holidays passed. Um, and that breakup happened around that time period, that holiday, that, you know, the, the winter, it was foggy, it was rainy. Don't you know that it took years for me to stop associating wintertime and the holidays with a bad experience such as a breakup. Uh, it took years of good memories afterwards to kind of heal that wound. It took several years to re really kind of reprogram my brain to learn that, you know, um, the holidays is not a negative experience. So a person can be triggered externally. You know, those smells, you know, um, that, that example I gave you was internal, right? So external could be something like smells or the media, you know, watching the news, arguments, you know, seeing violence, you know, seeing a certain person um, uh, that you see in, in the store or someone from your childhood. But the only way to really know to, to know the difference is by practicing that mindfulness component, those mindfulness techniques that will help you, uh, A, identify what's going on in your body. So you'll know, you know, what you're feeling and what's going on. And B, you know, if it's external or internal, so you can label it, you can start to name those um, responses which is something that's a really good trait, a uh, really good tool to have and see if it's a trigger or just something um, that you're uncomfortable with. So you can say, you know what, this is something I may be uncomfortable with. It's not something that's severely traumatic for me in my experience. I, I appreciate you sharing the, the, the personal story, Christian. I, I had a similar experience with my father dying and he died in the fall and I was living in the Midwest at the time. So for the longest time, that's been almost 20 years ago. And it's only been recently that the change in the color of the leaves doesn't bring about that sort of the, the physical response to losing my dad. I, I couldn't get away from that. It took several years of, as you just said, great falls and positive experiences to kind of undo that. Before we move on, I think I got internal triggers. Could you, could you 
mentioned again, external, the difference between what, give me a couple of examples of an external trigger just to make sure everybody's got it. Yeah, so an external trigger can be anything environmental. It could be something that happens um, outside of your body. So you're talking about an external event such as, you know, a, a, a car accident or a smell or seeing a person. Those are all external. Internal is an emotion. So it could be something like a memory. So that's an internal thing that you can't, it's not tangible. You can't touch it or see it or um, anger, you know, and, and other emotions. So those are the internal, uh, uh, the internal and external triggers. And the difference really lies with, um, as, it, as it really sounds, like are you able to see, feel, hear, or touch it? You know, or are you, versus are you able to feel it, uh, feel that emotion? So those are the main differences between the two. Got it. Appreciate you, you, you clarifying that for me and for anybody else watching. I also want to mention, you mentioned mindfulness as being a tool. If, if you're interested in learning about mindfulness, go to brotherrewell.com. Grace Cecilio is our brilliant mindfulness expert. So you can check out videos and podcasts with Grace at brotherbewell.com. Christian, you mentioned a person and that leads me to the next question. I almost didn't, didn't add this question to the list because I thought I knew the answer to it, but, but I'm going to let you answer emphatically. Uh, can a person then, an individual, be a trigger? Oh, yes. Um, I, would, I would beg to differ that I think most individuals deal with um, a person as a trigger, and sometimes it's really subconscious where they they um, they don't know it. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, so absolutely, yeah, a person can be. And I think most people, you know, relate to this. You know, this is more relatable because you know we deal with people on an everyday basis. You know, so um, I had a, I have another example for you. Um, um, true story here. I had a you know teacher that always you know uh, called on us when we knew you know, uh, when it was time to read, right? So uh, at times, you know, I didn't feel comfortable. I was a good reader, but I was a little, I was a little shy. So when I would read, I would stutter a lot, you know, when I was younger. So uh, I get nervous and start stuttering. So uh, she would always call, you know, on me. And I know I couldn't read that well at that time. So now uh, I have two triggers going on. I have an internal one, which is a pain from the memory, right? Internal, emotional, that's the internal pain. And I have the external um, trigger, right? Which is every time I see that teacher, the, it could be a person, place, or, you know, um, location. Uh, I see that teacher, it brings back bad memory. So I had two things going on there. So absolutely, a person can be a trigger. And that's where most of us associate uh, some of our triggers with. I really wish I had, I, I remember just really briefly my own mental health journey. And I remember sitting in a therapist's office the first time and she was explaining triggers to me. I knew nothing about them. And and I, you talk about an epiphany as she was talking. I, I said, "Wait, can a, can a person be a trigger?" And she was almost surprised. Of course, Michael. Yes. And I just went. I think. I think you talk about an aha moment when you realize that maybe just limiting interactions. We're not talking about necessarily cutting somebody out of your life, but if you're just aware, if a person is a trigger, you might want to limit the number of interactions or the length of time that you're interacting with someone if you know they're going to trigger that response that you don't really want to. You, you don't really want to trigger. So appreciate you and us through that, that Christian, really appreciate it. Um, Most definitely. I, I'm curious about how triggers are formed. I, I looked this up a little bit and I couldn't find any compelling uh, 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 finite detail or, or data rather on how triggers are formed. Are you aware of how triggers are formed in the brain? How's that happen? Yeah, Michael. So triggers, it's a, it's, it's a, um, it's multifaceted in terms of how they're formed. So you have, you know, you have these automatic thoughts that occur, right? You have an event, 
you have a negative event um, or experience, and then that experience thus is really attached onto a feeling or an emotion. Then that feeling or emotion is attached onto a physical response. And then the cycle continues, and then, you know, you can have a trigger. So it's basically when our brain develops a traumatic response, you know, the feeling or thought after really associating it to that negative experience to an external or internal event. And I don't want to get too far in the weeds or technical, you know, but I'll try my best not to just in terms of the brain, right? So triggers are activated, you know, when a negative event occurs and that communication in the brain is going on, uh, those those synapses, those nerves firing in our brain, it engages the emotional brain faster and easier um, in, in terms of more strongly than it does the analytical brain. So we have two parts, right? We have that frontal lobe that's our executive functioning, helps us think and, you know, make decisions. So basically that information is going a little fast and we don't, uh, our brain doesn't have opportunity to really register and digest and analyze that information. So uh, triggers really remain dormant in that part of the brain where the communication gets stuck in that, that prefrontal cortex, the part where the executive functioning and decision-making happens. Um, so basically that's, um, um, a visual, um, if you may, in terms of how, you know, uh, that uh, communication works in the brain. So it it goes actually, um, Michael, it goes back to our EMDR podcast on why EMDR is so effective. You know, with trauma, you know, trauma patients in the brain, I gave that um, brain versus computer analogy. Um, EMDR EMDR really helps the brain to reprocess. And uh, the analogy is good because we can relate to it. EMDR helps the brain to really reprocess the um, uncorrupt files, right? Or memories in the brain and um, and stores them in the property proper memory banks, uh, so they won't get, uh, so they won't malfunction and cause you to receive error messages, right? Which are equivalent to nightmares, flashbacks, startled responses, and so on. That's where they come from because they're not registered in the brain correctly, so they're popping out of nowhere. Uh, your brain doesn't know what to do with them. So um, just to use a real life situation now, our brain processes thousands of thoughts in a day. And we must do a, a good job of taking care of our thoughts and feelings. And, you know, um, that's why it's really important to really be mindful and what we're thinking about, what we're watching and seeing. I really appreciate it. We're going to get it being mindful in just one second, Christian. But you mentioned that EMDR video we did, EMDR, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. I think that I get that right. That's you what EMD. That's, thank you, sir. That's what EMDR is. And if you want to learn more about that, go to brotherrewell.com. That's another great, great, great conversation, and I won't, I won't bore you. You can listen in on, and watch that one. But my own journey with EMDR was absolutely transformative in my healing from from trauma and ACEs exposure. So check that out if you like. Let's take a look at uh, trigger warnings. That's a topic that came up in a meeting just earlier today, Kristen. Um, and from what I've learned, the jury's out. We've all seen them. We've been watching broadcast news, for instance, and they. I'm, I'm glad to see them because. Frankly, I'm old enough to remember when they didn't air any at all. So you'd be watching, you know, a, a sitcom and then you go into your evening news and the first story was a very traumatic story. And they just roll. Let's roll the video. And then you, you go 11 o'clock at night and you're watching this. So I'm glad they're doing them. But from what I've learned, the jury's kind of out about whether just how helpful they are, I should say. So, Kristen, can you tell us what trigger warnings are and then chime in, if you would, on whether or not you think they're helpful or not? Yeah, so I mean, trigger warnings can look several different ways, right? They could be the traditional way you're referring to with the news, how they you put up a banner and it's in red and saying warning, you know, you know, sensitive uh, information coming. It could be very casual and very nonchalant, you know, someone talking in a conversational form saying, "Hey, just let everyone know some misinformation 
know, maybe uh, sensitive information, you know. Um, so that's what a, a trigger warning could be. Um, it could be audio. It could be visual. Um, it can come through on a podcast, uh, things of that sort. Um, but really, for some, they may be. They may be triggering. Uh, you know, as I said before, is that, you know, trauma is a, uh, people experience trauma in different ways. No two traumas are the same. So for one person, it may be traumatic. Another person, it may be therapeutic. And I really think it depends on the severity of the uh, of the topic. So if you're talking about something that's really severe and really graphic, then more than likely it, may, it will be helpful to do that. We must remember that um, we have to have we make what may be a coping mechanism for me may be devastating for the other person. Really profound, uh, Kristen. And I appreciate you you talking about the different formats of those trigger warnings too. You're right; they can be audio or visual. I I happen to like the the softer approach. If a news anchor is saying, you know, you may want to be cautious, this next piece of video might be disturbing to some people. I I remember watching one where all the anchor said was, you know, if you've got children in the room, you may want to ask your small children to leave the room. And my children were adults, but that was kind of triggering for me. What could be so extreme that I'm going to ask my kids to leave? And frankly, if my kids need to leave, maybe I don't need to watch this. So I remember thinking, and then sure enough, that, that graphic was, I, in fact, I wound up sending a tweet or email or something to a news station saying, I think you should have stopped that tape five seconds before. I don't I don't know that someone who has been traumatized is the, were the only people that would be affected by seeing that video. So I think we've got to be careful. I love what you said about the, depending on the severity of the trauma and what the information coming forward is going to be might dictate whether or not you use a, a trigger warning or not. Absolutely. Let's talk about as we get ready to wrap to wrap up. We're we're going to be um, not necessarily inundated, but we're going to be faced with triggers, right? We're gonna we're those are going to come our way. So I'm curious from you as a marriage and family and therapist, how do we protect ourselves from reliving the past traumatic experiences, or or can we, or even more profoundly, should we even try to do that? Is that helpful? To, to try to lean away from it altogether. And, and, and can you tell us how can we best brace for the triggers that we know are going to come our way? Yeah, Michael, well, you know, we're, we're basically stewards of our own brain, right? And we only get one brain. You know, this is all we get. We, we can't grow another brain. We can't, you know, as far as I know, we can't transplant and, you know, receive the same thoughts that we had. So this is what we get. We have, we have one. And I think it, will serve us greatly if we, you know, could be preventive in protecting ourselves from things and events um, that we know may trigger us. You know, um, we don't have to click on that graphic, you know, car accident video. We know it's going to be graphic and we've already seen it probably once or twice. And we know how it made us feel the first time. We we don't have to watch, you know, the shooting, you know, over and over, you know, on YouTube and, you know, the clip, the, the clip or the video that was sent in the group chat that everyone's talking about, you know, we can avoid some of these situations that may seem small, but in reality, you walk away feeling like, man, I don't feel right watching that. That didn't make me feel too good. Like, there's a reason why, you know, your brain's telling you something, you know, so we can avoid, you know, um, we, can, we can avoid some of those things. We can actually avoid that restaurant that we ate, you know, we ate at over the whole pandemic that caused us to gain 40 pounds. That can be a trigger, right? You know, oh, yes, food can be a trigger, too. You know, so um, another one I would say really is in, in vivo treatment. Um, in vivo means basically in Latin and Spanish, it means uh, in um, in live. So to live with. So it's in the present. 
and vivo treatment is a therapeutic intervention that therapists did that we may use, you know, in cognitive uh, cognitive behavioral trauma focused therapy. So, um, so in part, you know, that that trauma treatment is really getting the client to be present in the here and now. So the intervention really is done um, with a mental health professional, where after a certain amount of time in the in the program, um, receiving this therapy, right, where the therapist feels that they're ready for this. Um, the therapist begins to expose the clients to the very thing or the very event that was traumatizing. So they may not take um, they may not take them literally to the experience, right, or the violent act, you know. Um, but maybe they may go to the park, or they may go to the restaurant or try to smell that smell that reminded them of the traumatic event. So um, that's another way that's very um, uh, therapeutic in a sense, um, where it's guided with the therapist who's trained to do that. You just had to, before we wrap up, you just had to sneak in uh, my COVID weight gain, didn't you, Christian? I appreciate that, sir. Let's <laughs> put me on blast. Well, you good, the... man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm reversing it. You know, I'm, I'm undoing <laughs> that trauma from those takeout restaurants, but I appreciate the reminder that I've still got some work to do. All kidding aside, Christian Jacobs, marriage and family therapist and Brother Rewell clinical advisor, thank you, sir, for, for your contributions during this trauma and healing series. Something tells me we'll be talking again. Oh, it was great. This is a a good time. I really appreciate the time, Michael. Always good to see you. We'll see you next time. Okay, take care. You too. And I want to thank you for checking this video out. If you've enjoyed it at all, uh, you can check out the entire uh, Trauma and Healing series here at Brother Be Well, made possible by the support of our sponsor, Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. That initiative boosts access to mental health support. You can learn all about it at Blue Sky dot blueshieldca.com that's blueshieldca.com for more information about any one of a number of mental health uh, issues uh, and topics that are germane to folks certainly folks of color men of color 13 and up african american uh, latinx asian and pacific islander or native and indigenous check it all out uh, audio podcasts videos just like this one compelling print pieces all at brotherbewell.com. That's brotherbewell.com. We're a membership-supported service. If you can join us as a member, we would love to have you as a part of the Brotherhood. If you want to just stick your toe in and see what we're all about, give us your email address, and you could, you're then signing up for our blog on that website, and we'll start to send you notifications two or three times a week about uh, videos just like this one as they go live. All of that is at brotherbewell.com. My name again, Michael P. Coleman. I'm content director for Brother Be Well, and I want to invite you to do two things for me, if you would. Please take care of yourselves. Do the best you can. And everything we're doing is designed to try to help you do that. Once you get that down pat or you get a little better at it, at least reach out to someone else and help them out to help take care of somebody else. Until next time. Bye bye. And that wraps up another episode of Brother Be Well. Get ready for text and email alerts on more great things happening later this month. I'm Leon Guidry. Check us out next time for more mental health and wellness inspiration. Until then, stay up, family.